Hello, and welcome to the Consumer VC Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of venture capital and consumer. I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and if you're enjoying the show, you can subscribe to my newsletter where you'll receive new episodes a week early. Head to theconsumervc.com and click subscribe. All content and episodes are for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not investment advice. Our guest today is Ben Jones, CEO of House Labs by Lady Gaga. As you can imagine, House Labs by Lady Gaga is Lady Gaga's clean artistry makeup brand powered by innovation. This was a great conversation and case study around creating a celebrity brand. Um, We discuss how Ben met Lady Gaga, her involvement on the day-to-day with the company, how the company went through an early rebrand, which was really fascinating, as well as their approach to building the product and scale. Without further ado, here's Ben. Ben, thank you so much for joining me here today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to talking about the business. Yeah, looking forward to talking all things House Labs. This is going to be a lot of fun. Wanted to first start off telling me, how did you meet Lady Gaga and what was your first impression of her? Yeah, that's a great question. I had been at Honest Company and I I left in 2017, right as they were kind of going through their transition to focusing more on retail. The first call I got was from CAA a guy named Michael Yanover, who's a, a business development guy there. And he said, hey, I've heard your name from a lot of people as somebody who's good at, at getting businesses going. We've got this business that's kind of been sitting in limbo for a year uh, with this phenomenal celebrity that she actually brought the idea to us. And candidly, like just leaving honest, I was like, yeah, I'm not sure I want to do another. You know, I think I'm good right now. And he goes, no, you got to hear about this. And I go, okay. So being the cynic that I am, I was like, okay, what, what D-level celebrity are they going to foist on me? Right. I'm like, am I going to be doing, you know, so we met for lunch and I, he said, what do you want to do next? And I said, look, I, I've had this, I've had this amazing run of working for, you know, some pretty phenomenal CEOs like Mitch Lasky, Mark Pincus and Brian Lee. I'm ready to be CEO though. I said, so I want to be CEO. I want to do, you know, direct to consumer CPG. And I go, the fourth one's going to surprise you a little bit. I want to do beauty. And he he was like, yeah, that's very surprising. Why do you want to do beauty? And I said, I just feel like there's so much similarity to what happened in the video game industry that I'm very familiar with and what's going on in beauty that it it resonates with me right now. And I said, one just split towards the boys and one split towards the girls. But like, it's, it's, it feels like it's in my wheelhouse. And so with that, we went to lunch and he said, I, you know, I said, who is it? And he said, it's Gaga. And I was like, that changes my entire perspective, right? Like suddenly I was like from like, yeah, I'll take your lunch to like, okay, this is really interesting. So she was incredibly busy at the time. And so it was kind of puttering along. And I'm like, look, we got to move this. Like, let's, let's either get this going or not. And so I went to her house in Malibu to meet with her. And she's just a phenomenal human being and you feel it right away. Like one, she's the kindest person you'll ever meet. Like no ego, no pretense, brilliant. Like insights right away, passion right away. And I was like, this is somebody that's like a once in a lifetime person that I got to work with. And so from there, you know, we did all the the rigmarole and the dance and we finally got to a place. And by the way, the shoe had to fit on the other side too, right? Gaga had to like me. So I think what sold her on me was she loved that I wasn't from the beauty industry and I came from experiential gaming, which she, she, thinks is a great medium. And I had six sisters. So she was like, okay, you're going to understand this industry better than I expected. And um, from there, just, you know, we built the company. 
That's awesome. I'd love to dig in a bit more about what you thought, why you were so interested in beauty and kind of the relationship in gaming and why there was kind of parallels that you saw what was happening now in beauty with with gaming, with your experience. It was that, you know, in gaming, we had this time where I was like OG mobile games, like Jammed Out was like the very first Western mobile games company. And, you know, you see, you see a lot of the, you saw a lot of the, the disruption happening with, you know, also with free to play and with mobile and everything else. And then really what changed gaming was live games, right? Like this idea that the boxes, you don't just finish the game and you throw it away. It's like this game lives forever. And, and so there were like massive sea changes there. And in beauty, like you started to see the way influencers were changing the game and the way like Kylie, you know, with the D to C model and the drop model was changing the game. And when I looked at it, I was like, you know, there's a lot of parallels here, but there's not as many people playing here. Like, it's since gotten much more competitive, but I would say games was the most competitive space for a long time where, like, just there was a million smart people chasing the same holy grail. And in beauty, it felt like there were some, like, older school companies who didn't quite know how to play it, who were trying to learn. And then there were new companies that I looked at, and I saw, I just saw that there was going to be a, a, you know, I thought there was going to be a wave of those companies who kind of, did their thing and changed the whole landscape. And that's what felt similar to me was like this, this business that was going through a massive sea change and also had a massive audience. So just to summarize for gaming, you saw a big sea change um, in the kind of convert to mobile games, maybe how that, how that created different types of business model for that medium. And what you're seeing then in beauty is with the online e-commerce and D2C, you're, you know, you, you sell it on your own site. You're seeing that as kind of a sea chain, a new medium that you thought there was maybe a, a white space here. A white space. And, and by the way, also pure, like any entrepreneur, pure naivete, right? Like ignorance, which is like, why do you go into it? You're like, well, I think I could do that. Like, like truth be told, if you had all the facts lined up and like you really knew what you were going for, you'd be like, I'm crazy, right? Like, I do sometimes pause and go, like, how did I get here? Like, it's kind of a, it's, it's a pretty radical shift from 20 years in the video game industry to this. At the end of the day, it all came down. Like, I also, when I evaluate talent, so much of what I evaluated in the video game space transferred to this space, which is like, I would buy teams or I would sell teams in the video game space. And I would always just want to talk to the designer. It's really all I cared about. I didn't, like, artists, programmers, obviously, there's phenomenal people all over the industry. But, like, I think there's, like, 20 great designers in the industry. And what I've learned in this space, I think there's like 20 great product developers in this space. There's like formulators who make stuff for everyone. And then the companies that stand out have that like person who can like maximize that relationship with the formulator. And each of them have this like pillar that you need to build the company, designer, product developer, um, where I think beauty is better than video games. I think they're better marketers. So I think the world's best marketers sit in beauty and so that's been a learning experience for me is how to how to interact with them and and how to work with them. So how do you think about product when you were talking with Lady Gaga and, and this company was you know coming together? What was I guess your approach to actually building out that supply chain and the different number of of SKUs or or categories that you wanted to enter? So learning it's been a work in progress, and I learned a lot. So like one like being self reflective, I would say. When I was at Zynga, I remember there was that gold rush in like 2010 that everyone was going into free-to-play. And I'd meet all these people, and uh, I'd be like, who are these tourists, right? They don't know anything about games, and suddenly they're in all these meetings. And I'd like, I was kind of like dismissive of them. And then like a year ago, I sort of was like working on some things. I looked at myself, I'm like, wait, I'm the tourist. You're that guy. <laughs> like All these people who've been here for 20 years, 30 years, have these careers. 
And then I walk in and I'm running Gaga's company and they're like, who is this guy and why is he here? Right. And so I've learned along the way a lot. I, I think I'm a, I try to read people. I have a higher EQ than an IQ. So I try to read people. Right. And, and I think what I learned very quickly and Gaga learned faster than me was the type of people we needed in the company to do what we wanted to do. And I learned in beauty, there's a huge difference between people who come from founder companies and then big, bigger companies. So we had to do a lot of work with getting the team right. I did a massive, like, I mean, the last, the first two, three years of the company were really challenging because we, we were finding the perfect mix on who could complement Gaga's vision and embrace it rather than like try to push their own vision. Because Gaga is one of these people who's so forward thinking and so smart, you really got to kind of trust her and run with it, even if it doesn't totally make sense to where we're the businesses. And so I focused always on product for the company, but I didn't quite know how to build the product that was going to win when I started, if that makes any sense. So, uh, you know, I put together a team, very talented people, but they weren't necessarily the team that wanted to build what Gaga wanted to build. They had their playbook from, you know, their companies and they wanted to build that, which is totally fine, but not with Lady Gaga. Because if you have Gaga the approver, you know, versus Gaga the creator, you're not going to build an awesome company. And so when we started, I put too short of timelines on the team. I tried to get to market too early and thinking speed would be our advantage. And the truth is like innovation and making the best product in the world is the advantage. And in this space, you cannot do that in nine months to a year, which is what I pushed the team on you really need two years to do it, two years to build the product correctly. So we swapped the team. We swapped out, I mean, in our first, we, we pretty much have a new company now, right? With, from, a, from a personnel standpoint. And we brought on people who were founder-led, um, used to working with founders. And also we got lucky in some respects. We Gaga attracts the best of the best because they love her and they want to work with her. So we were able to put together this really rock star team. And then for this chapter two, we just launched um, with Sephora last week on the 500 doors. It's all new product, every single SKU. So every single SKU is new. It, we went clean. We overhauled everything and we took a swing for the fences. We knew we couldn't tweak what we originally launched with and make it successful to the level we wanted it to. That's really helpful. And I mean, it's what fascinates me is, you know, Lady Gaga, probably one of the busiest celebrities in the entire world, right? Touring, you know, acting, um, engaging just in a number of activities. And how does she engage and interact with the brand and team? Like, and, and, and the actual role that she plays within the company, if you don't mind like walking me through that. Yeah, no. So I, look, I think we've, it's evolved over time. So like, look, as I learn about her and she learns about me, we learn like, okay, here are his strengths. Here's my strengths. Here's her strengths. And how do I empower you know her and, and the team to listen to these things that that we want to do? And, and so, where she spends the majority of her time is on product and creative, right? So, and not only that, by the way, she's much more. You'd be surprised. She's much more like brand systems. So she came to me a year ago and was like, you know, we really got to get our brand systems stronger. So when I'm not there, everything's cohesive and the way it flows. Um, she's got like a photographic memory, so. She's very visual, right? So she looks at everything visually from from top to bottom. She also like everything has to flow in a in a certain way, and she's a perfectionist. So she handles all the stuff that like is consumer facing. 
I handle all the day-to-day operation stuff and, you know, the non-sexy stuff, let's say. Um, and that's the way we kind of divide and conquer. And then there's times when she has to go do her other jobs. So then that's where the team really plays the part of like, we got to carry on while she's not here. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it doesn't surprise me either that Gaga would be also very involved in the brand system size. I mean, one of my favorite books, I don't know if you've read it, Monster Loyalty, how Lady Gaga turns followers into fanatics and like just every single part, every single like little thing that she does in order to get her fans more involved and how just her interaction with the people that follow her, it's pretty, pretty incredible. I'm of the belief that we've only scratched the surface of what Gaga's going to, the mark she's going to make on this world before she leaves, because I just watched the way her, she's so committed to perfection and so committed to like, if you, like her latest tour, Chromatica, I got to see it in Chicago. And like, I'm sitting there watching, I just know the amount of time she had to prepare for it and what it took to do it in that period of time. And the fact that she's able to nail that, then while she's on tour, she's doing TikToks for us in her hotel room that are getting, you know, 10 million views in two days. And then she's going to do, you know, she's doing a mental health campaign with her mom. And like, it's truly incredible when somebody is able to do multiple things and do them all at a high level, but it's because she's got incredible focus. So like far better than I have, like I, I jump a lot. She is very one. So when she's working on house labs, she will eat, drink, sleep house labs, 16 to 18 hours a day. And that's where her head is. When she switches tracks to music, then she's going to switch that track. And then we're going to make sure we have stuff in the can and we're ready for it and everything else. But like, she doesn't cross pollinate. She doesn't dance on like three different things. She's very highly focused on whatever she's working on. I appreciate you paint a little bit of a picture about just how she's just involved in different activities. And, you know, I mean, a little bit of a, a day in the life, which is amazing. As you kind of mentioned, when you were actually thinking about getting into beauty and personal care and, and thinking about, um, uh, these categories. You mentioned, you know, Kylie Jenner, there's a lot of, you know, celebrity launches in the past few years. And, you know, there is some argument to be made, and it's been made on the show that consumers might be a bit fatigued um, of these types of brands that are maybe celebrity led. How do you think that House Labs have maybe broken the mold here and kind of cut through that, you know, kind of noise of, as you said, when you were first approached, you're like, okay, what B celebrity wants to start, you know, a brand now? Like, so how do you think about the whole like break through the noise part of your business? Yeah, the product number one, right? Like, if you, because part of the part of the problem is, and this isn't cele- this isn't a celebrity issue. This is a business issue. If people are slapping names or or not not really thinking through a product for the end consumer and then putting it out there, it doesn't have a very long shelf life. There are people who can go over and above that it, just because they have such reach and they will survive for a while, but eventually it catches up to them. So I think when we benchmarked this chapter two, we said, okay, we are not, while we're going clean with our ingredients, we are not benchmarking against other clean companies. We are benchmarking against luxury brands that can, that we can compete with, even though we're not putting ingredients in there that might not be great for you. And so like our foundation, which we just launched, we, we weren't benchmarking against other clean foundations. We were benchmarking against, you know, the Armani silk. We were benchmarking against like world-class foundations that have been around forever. And that was really driven by Gaga. She was like, look, if I can't like put my, you know, this foundation down and pick ours up and wear it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be happy with it. Like it's got to be a world-class foundation that goes back to what I said earlier about having a world-class product developer. And I mean, the best example I can give you is like when we go to a formulator with her, there's six chemists around the table, no reps, no sales reps. It's six chemists 
and maybe the CEO of the formulator. When I started the company, it was one sales rep, no chemist, and RPD person, right? So it's like huge difference in how we're approaching the product. So what makes me the most happy right now is watching the customer reaction to our foundation because it's, you know, it's a best-selling, like we just launched it with Sephora. It's a best-selling foundation. And, but the reviews and the TikToks and everything else that people are doing are like, they're blown away by it. So in a way, I think we knew we had to go over and above being a celebrity brand because it actually hasn't been an advantage for some brands. It's actually a detriment because people are just like, who slapped their name on this product? And I just say with Gaga, it's she's a um, force to be reckoned with, and you can't deny that her handprints are all over this thing, and the customers can feel that too. So the authenticity of you know of her kind of level of involvement with the product, and you know wanting the product to be perfect for her, and if it's perfect for her, then it might also be perfect for her friends. But it but but it stems from a very authentic place. Reminds me a lot. The third, I think it was the third interview that I did on the Reviews podcast was with uh, Nicole Quinn at Lightspeed, and she was talking up about uh, House Labs. This was back in 2019, but she was saying how um, Lady Gaga's hands are just all over it. Now, originally, you decided to launch on Amazon. Why wasn't that so successful? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's one I thought about a lot because, like, I dealt with Amazon. Coming from my background, I dealt with Amazon, and when they when we were approached with the opportunity, I originally said no. Just thought it was too early in our existence, and we wanted to con- control our own destiny and everything else. And like, and then we, you know, so Amazon came to you. Is that is that what happened? Yeah, they they thought they you know they had an I think it was they had an opportunity around Prime Day. They wanted to launch a brand for the first time ever, and they really let us in the kitchen. They, they did a lot for our company, and they embraced us in a way that I, I don't think they've done with many companies. Um, ultimately, I think that the challenge is this, like, and this is why we're at Sephora. Sephora are the best, best brand builders in the world, right, for, for beauty. So you have Alta, who's a, who's a phenomenal retailer, but probably better at scale when you're at scale as a, as a brand, whereas Sephora has kind of a track record of over and over again taking brands that maybe don't have great brand awareness and introduce them to the world. They have the best trained salespeople and everything else. So like that that is a big part of like when you launch a brand that you need in beauty. You even with Lady Gaga, you can't just rely on that person. You have to have the whole the whole like story and the whole world combined. With Amazon, it's a, not a discovery platform, right? It's a it's a I know what I'm buying and I go there and I buy it platform. So I think it was really hard for us as a startup especially to break out without spending, you know, tens of millions of dollars on advertising and everything else. Like it was very hard to break out there. So I think Amazon went, went to the moon for us. And, and we, you know, we had a lot of success in some categories, but it was really hard to break through with certain must win categories like foundation, which is why we didn't launch it there. And so I think learning experience would be, you have to build a brand first before you try and go all in there because it's not a discovery platform. Also, it's not a drop platform, right? We're doing drops. So Amazon's algorithms, they're motors, right? They speed up, they slow down velocity, reviews, all this stuff. When you do a drop, it's not going to show because the algorithm is not. So like we didn't do a lot of work there. And so look, they like from a partnership perspective, they were pretty phenomenal with us. It just wasn't the hit I think we were all hoping it would be. And and candidly, I don't think we gave them the products like we have now. Um, just because we were learning and we were we were evolving as a company. I don't think we gave we had our best foot forward. Either. This comes up on the show a lot, you know, the kind of this question of can you build a brand on Amazon? Because 
it's a series of listings. I mean, I would think it's just very, very difficult to be able to kind of stand out in some ways from other listings um, that you see on Amazon. So totally can understand it from that standpoint. What are kind of your lessons learned about your, you know, the original launch on Amazon all the way up to now you launched at Sephora. And do you think that your original thesis, why you wanted to enter into beauty and personal care, what you kind of saw kind of in parallel, what happened to the video game industry and mobile, a new platform, you see that with, you know, D2C online. Um, you're launching in, you, you just launched in Sephora, which is, you know, traditional retail. Is there still an opportunity as well that you see for, you know, online channels? Or is it more so like an, as like an advertising medium? No, I think it's I think it's all of the above. This is still one category where you need retail. Like beauty retail is strong, right? It's very strong. So it's not like you know, it's not like back in the day when you're at EA and you're like, you got to go to Best Buy, and you got to go to you got to go go to Bentonville, and you got to do this stuff. It's like no, we have digital downloads. We can do X Y. It was kind of a so you know there was that big tug and pull for a long time, like from the retailers. If you go here, or you won't go here, and everything else, and none of it played out that way. I think in this space, you 1,000% need to have a physical presence because it's a touch, feel, uh, shade, match. Like, I mean, we've gotten very sophisticated and everyone's gotten much more sophisticated on like online shade matching per se. But like you still, getting a beauty advisor to sit with you and like do that is still the most powerful sales technique. During the the kind of reband process, why did you change your name from house laboratories to house labs by lady gaga a lot of i mean several reasons one we wanted people to be clear that it was like the brand had evolved and it made more sense like to have gaga's name in it like i mean she's she's one of the top five most recognized icons in the world so like house labs like why not right from from many reasons right like common sense reasons And then also like it just, we do want to be about like, we do want people when they try our products to be like, wow, these guys are future thinking. Like she's a futurist and we wanted it to be more like lab driven. So it just like, it just felt cleaner to us. House Labs by Lady Gaga, whereas House Laboratories, it's like, hey, that's all well and good. And I hope one day everyone in the world knows our, you know, we have a Q score of X and whatever and 95 identity rating, but Gaga has that today and we don't. So it makes a lot of sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. I think in part of the rebrand, what I was reading is that you, it's clean makeup, right? What does clean make, uh, mean to you? Yeah, it, it basically, like, look, I always want to think clean because clean is such a vague, it's, it means nothing. Clear, clean means nothing by itself. I think what we tried to achieve was the European standard of what the clean ingredients list looks like because they're far more aggressive about it than we are. The funniest part of it all, it reminds me of like early in my career, I was getting recruited by Trip Hawkins from EA. And he told me the story of when he started Electronic Arts. And he said it had to do with when the processors were going to be fast enough to do the kinds of sports games he wanted to make. And I think we had this lucky kind of combination of events where the technology on the formulator side caught up in the last few years where we could actually build product that Gaga would be proud of in a clean formulation. Four years ago, we couldn't do it. Now we can. So it, it's like it's almost like the processor speed caught up to where we wanted to be. And so when she called me and said, I want to do clean, like it was during COVID and she's like, we can't be a kindness brand and not be kind to the planet like and kind to ourselves. Like we've got to do this. And I called an old friend of mine from Honest who was a chemist who is no longer there, but she's a chemist and she's pretty raw. And I said, we want to do a clean foundation. Um, And she goes, you're fucking mad. That was her response. And I said, why? She's like, it's just so hard. She's like, 
you know, you need the pegs for stabilization. You need this. And she started listening through the chemicals and what they did for you. And I said, yeah, but isn't that what we're startups? So isn't that what we should be doing, right? Like we should be taking the hard challenge. And, and we've, we just got, we got a little bit of luck because we got this phenomenal product developer. And then we married her with this phenomenal chemist who, who's kind of legendary in the industry. And she loved Lady Gaga. So Gaga went down to the lab and stayed there for seven hours and met with all her chemists. And she took them through all her, like, here's how I'm thinking. They were so blown away by her. It's almost like they said, okay, we're giving them the AAA treatment. Like, let's, let's make this work. Right. Like, and so that, that was like a lucky relationship for us. Right. Like that was, that was just lucky how it all came together. But it also was that matter of Gaga driving herself down to Irvine, sitting in their lab for seven hours and then saying this person is real and she's got a real vision and we want to make stuff for her. Right. And I I think that, you know, set us on our path. And then the clean aspects of it now, just like we think we can compete with quote unquote dirty products across the board. That's really interesting. And it's also really cool that Lady Gaga did that. I remember when I think House Laboratory, when you first launched, you were looking on the price point side, it to be accessible to, to everyone or to a lot of people. Since going clean, where I'd imagine it's, as you just kind of laid out, it's a very difficult process. I'd imagine that's, that probably eats into your margins a bit. How do you think about when you were thinking about the relaunch and you know, launching Sephora, how did you think about price point? Yeah, we, we argued about it a lot. I'll tell you that right now because the product developer sitting there going like, do you understand what we're packing into these products? We should be charging this for it, right? And then you have the marketing team saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Like if you charge that, you're you're out of range with this, this, and this. And so it's a dance because we, I, I'm not lying when I tell you these things are packed. Like we're, they're packed with skincare ingredients and like the, and, and we're doing it, we were doing it during a massive like supply chain craziness, Right. So like I think as a as a founder and as a CEO, what I look at is like, okay, don't plan for what's happening in chaotic moments, plan for steady state. So like our goal for this year has been like it's been a pretty simple goal, like a path to normalcy, which sounds silly, but like normal to me means like you're operating under normal conditions, right? Like you don't have ports backed up, you don't have this, you don't have that. Like so if you say to me, Ben, you're gonna take margin pressure, I'm like, okay, I can take margin pressure for a year, but I can't take margin pressure for five years. So like, as long as you can show me that like, hey, we can take our margin to like the industry best within 24 months from a launch, I'll do it. But I won't do it if it's like you're forever going to be in a, you know, a, a down position. Was that also helpful too um, with your partnership with, with Sephora? Did they, did they also maybe give you feedback in terms of how to approach pricing or, at all? Sephora, is, that's why they're such a great partner. They are in your kitchen. When you're an exclusive brand with Sephora, like part of the reason you do that is like they are day in day out in your kitchen like they are telling you like we don't like this we love this we don't like like they hold no they pull no punches they're a phenomenal partner in that regard because they make you better that's awesome how also have you i know you talked a little bit about lady gaga releasing you know tiktok videos about um house labs that of course have been seen by millions but how else do you kind of leverage Lady Gaga's existing community to help drive product sales and bring maybe higher repeat rates, higher loyalty within for house labs? Well, you do like you talked about the book, but the monsters are the most like you could you could argue there's like three incredible fan bases, right? You have the Swifties, the monsters. And a few others, but like they are the most passionate. Like I got such a chuckle. I was in Chicago, and there was a gentleman in front of me, 
and there was a woman next to me and she was talking about Lady Gaga's uh, lips. She's like, what is she wearing? And he goes, oh, that's Atomic Shake lip lacquer. And she goes, what's that? And he like turns around. He has no idea who I am. He starts selling her on why she needs this. Because we sell we sell a good percentage of our product to men and like a really healthy product uh, percentage. And so I was just smiling ear to ear. And she's like, where do I get it? And I just looked at it and I go, well, it's sold out right now because there was a massive run on it. But like three weeks, we'll have more. And she was like, how do you know? I'm like, I just know, right? Like, just trust me, you got to get it, right? And, um, but her fans, like when we launched the relaunch, they were printing posters in foreign territories, like in Paris, in the UK and putting them up on bus stops on their own dime. So like, that's the way. And one of the things, I, I'm not going to go too into it now because I don't want to give it away too much, but like, I think there's a massive opportunity for what happened in the video game industries with beta launches and building out community. In the beauty industry, one of the things I don't love about it is you pretty much push your poker chips in all the time because you don't you don't get the fan. Like in video games, we could like test, right? We'd, we'd do soft launches in Australia and Canada and Philippines and everything else. And like you'd have general ideas, like especially at Zynga. Like we'd know when we launched a game, like how big it was going to be. In beauty, it's like, okay, well, we know this category is big. We're going to do this. Like, okay, let's go. And that's scary, right? As, a, as any company is like every time you're launching, you're pushing your chips in. So I would love to get the monsters more involved in the development process, like literally give them updates on like, hey, here's a product like we're trying to get out, but we got, you know, more builds to do. Here's what we're trying to get with it. What do you think? And even sending out little lab samples to people. That's where I think we can be disruptive. And that's, I think, a phase that's coming soon without spelling it all out. But like, I want to I wanna do a lab series that's much more... Um, customer facing i'm interested to see how you think about the category broader uh makeup just has a category broader we've seen a resurgence during now post-covid with people maybe going back to work going out to being able to go out to restaurants and which is great into you know bars and what have you how have you seen or what are you thinking about how beauty is going to be going to continue to evolve and what are maybe some trends and categories that are most exciting to you right now I think we were ahead of the curve and it was really Gaga's foresight putting skincare benefits into makeup, right? So you look at like, for example, the foundation and we have fermented Arnica is something that we did in it and it, which causes like, it, it reduces inflammation and it does a lot of other things. So like, we're getting a lot of incredible feedback from people who have rosacea or have eczema or maybe had breakouts right? And they're like, I'm not getting any of that from your foundation. So like, that's, I think a huge, I think that was a huge foresight by her to get the skincare benefits into, into makeup products. I think, look, obviously sustainability is still top of mind for a lot of the younger consumers, more so than the word clean. They want to know like, okay, are you walking the walk, right? Like, are you walking the walk? Are you talking the talk? We're a kindness brand. We're an inclusive brand. So when we launched the foundation, like we had to move heaven and earth to get 51 shades done. It was not, it's not easy to do 51 shades. It's, you know, an incredible amount of work, but it was like, there was no way we were going to launch where like everyone didn't feel that we had thought of them when we were making it. So that's got it. That's table stakes. Now, I think if you're not an inclusive brand, like good luck, but where it's going, I think technology can play in this space. Like, you know, you start to look at companies who are doing really smart matchmaking and it's all algorithmically done with foundations and other things. They're getting really sophisticated. Obviously, AR, VR has some part. I still think it's small uh, in this category as it is in almost every other category. But you can see where it's going with virtual try-ons and stuff and it's getting better and better. As far as, And then it's really, I think, like, how do we take the consumer to a place where 
it's not you just bought it and you're gone, but like you have an ongoing relationship with that product as it evolves because you know they evolve all the time. We don't stop tweaking the foundation once we sell it. I know you started off, you know, e-commerce. Now, of course, you've launched Sephora, and that, that's amazing retail. What role do you think does you know the online DTC channel play for for House Labs? Yeah, I, I think it's our best storytelling. Look, like. Sephora is an amazing storyteller, but they had to tell stories for 100 brands, for 200 brands, whatever it is, right? This is where like her fans come to us. You know, they, they're obviously going to Sephora as well, but they come to our site. They come there. Like they know, like we have a phenomenal social team. God has also like evolved so much. Like if you think about her role over the last four years, she started more as like she's here, right? You're a fan and Gaga's up there and you kind of know her, but you don't, she's engaging right now. So she's on TikTok. Like this woman did this awesome TikTok about the foundation and how it's she she so she loves it and Gaga comments on it. Well, the effect that has on these people who've loved her their whole life and everything else, like it's really amazing. And like then they know she, how involved she is. So like she's I think also evolved her own approach. She's far more engaging with the customers because she's so proud of what we're building right now, right? And I think that's the other thing. Like if you're working with any celebrity, they're a perfectionist and they're artists. So if they're not thrilled with whatever they're selling, it's not going to be as effective. And so letting her, sorry, drive that product from A to Z has made her so much more excited about the way she supports it. I agree. It makes a lot of sense actually reaching out to your fans and, and kind of being part of them and not just feeling like, as you say, like you're actually separated from them, but you're actually are engaged with with people that, of course, love your product. Kind of be part of the conversation and have it actually be a conversation, which I think is really cool. Who are some of your role models personally when you think about product and customer experience? That's a great question. I don't know that I have a particular role model other than I have a particular, I know how important it is. I, like what I would say is when I was at Zynga towards the latter part of my tenure there I was running the green light and like I remember like playing through all of our games and kind of having a very candid conversation with Mark and be like I think our games stink right like I'm like have you played all of our games and he's like what do you mean I go like we have a great central product management group the problem is they give best practices to each other and they enact them in real time so all of our games play exactly the same right and it was kind of this aha moment for me I I, I think it was kind of an aha moment for him because he went home and played them and he was like uh oh right and I think from a product perspective for me, like I also just have learned over time, like everything else is a support function, right? Like I'm a support function. If I'm in sales, I'm a support function. Because if your product's not phenomenal, your job's so much harder. And, you know, so like we learned some hard lessons at Honest. When I got there, they were on a trajectory that was really high flying and they had product hiccups, right? They had uh, recalls and they had other things that hit them. And it stopped us in our tracks, right? And so when we started this, like the one thing I will tell you from the get-go, we worked with the best formulators in the world because I said like, we cannot take chances on product that we've got to work with tried and true who can scale, who can do this stuff. Where I got that takeaway from, I honestly can't tell you. Like, I don't know. I just know that I knew it was, from day one, I knew it was critical. I think the only thing that gets in the way of that is ego, because nobody wants to think they're a support function. But the fact of the matter is, I'll gladly support great product all day. I hate supporting shitty product. It all comes back to the product, right? It all comes back to the product. How did you feel during the chapter two? I know it's only been a week, but how did launch go at uh, Sephora? It went phenomenally well. And I think like they're they're very happy. We're very happy. 
I went into this launch thinking, okay, it'd be great if we could have one product that's already cut. Because we had the we did launch with 25 doors with them earlier in, in the summer. And we just had this we've just had a lot of good momentum lately. So I sort of feel like it's a bizarro world from where we were sitting a couple of years ago. And even last year, you know, I was it was like there were a lot of question marks, right? So just seeing the reviews, seeing the customer feedback, seeing the way that the shoppers are shopping it, it's just been like really, really positive. And uh, I can't go into like numbers, but I can tell you like we can talk about being a bestseller there right now. And to be a bestseller there is really hard to do. So, so far, so good. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. What's one book that's inspired you personally and one book that's inspired you professionally? So my wife would tell you I'm not a big reader. She gives me grief all the time. She's like, you could be reading right now. Shoe Dog is a, is a book that I love by Phil Knight. And actually, Bing Gordon made us all read Save the Cat. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. It's a screenwriting book. And basically, it's about like there's like 10 architectures in all screenwriting. Like all movies come down to, like 10 basic architectures. Once you read it, it's really good if you're in any creative class, like to read that book because it will just show you, like, okay, let don't overthink things. Like, there's the boy meets girl, there's the reluctant hero, there's the this, that, the other thing. So, like, that book was very impactful on me as I think about business in in general. Shoe dogs, probably personally and professionally, I think save the cat, which sounds crazy, but it's just because it's a screenwriting book. But you should read it because it's like. When you read it, you're, there's a lot of like, uh, it's, that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because Shoe Dog is the most referenced book whenever I ask this question. But Save the Cat, no one has mentioned Save the Cat, so you are very original. My final question to you is, what's one piece of advice that you have for founders currently? One piece of advice I would have is, I think, like, don't underestimate experience and pattern recognition, but that goes two ways. Don't underestimate it going towards the business and don't underestimate it in yourself. Because we all become creatures of habit and we all become set in our ways. And you need, I was lucky to have somebody like Gaga who inspired me to like go out of my comfort zone. But I think it's very easy, especially as an, you know, as an older founder to not see that in yourself. And so I, I think that's the big thing. And like, and if you're in the VC world and you're raising money, you got to go for it. If you raise money, you're going for it. You're not trying to build a $5 million, $10 million revenue business. You're trying to, to really change an industry and, and you're trying to build a, you know, a, a very massive revenue company. So like, don't go there if you don't want to go there. Ben, thank you so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, Mike. And there you have it. It was so much fun chatting with Ben. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone.